Ow. <laughs> My ears. Hi, Jace Avery. Hi, Kevin Tinkin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, welcome to Oh Hey Folks. Thanks for tuning in. I got my good friend Jace Wayne Avery here in the gay Raj. Uh, I did pronounce it that way for a reason. Uh, <clears throat> good, to, good to hear from you. If you enjoy what you listen to, make sure to go back, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, share with your friends and your family and your coworkers and anybody that you want to uh, uh, not like you. Mm-hmm. you know? Walk up to people on the street. Big boombox like Radio Raheem and do the right thing, dude. That would be just Blair and Kevin's podcast. Get killed by the cops, <laughs> that's dude. That's oh, geez, Louise, you got to go right. Uh, yeah, that would be a great marketing uh, tool. <laughs> just hire a guy to walk around with your podcast, podcast. blaring. Uh, I have thought about that before. Just Radio Raheem blasting Marin, yeah, in the piece. They're like, "Can you tone that shit down?" You just hear pow. Man, I don't know what's going on, man. It's just like, <laughs> am I supposed to be single? Turn that fucking shit down. Pow! <laughs> there he was. He sat right there, the president of the United States. Wow. Fight the power with that be That old president, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I wanted to have you on the pod. Uh, you Thanks know, for having me. Because... Uh, we both have a history of praising the Lord mm-hmm. uh, and uh, of being uh, emotionally repressed, and uh, and I have I've done my best uh, to try to break you out of your your shell of, of of not receiving affection. Not gonna happen, buddy. Oh, I disagree. I have two children that are uh, <laughs> lovely, and my kids. I bring them over here, mm-hmm. and I make which I tell them it's not legally allowed. Can't be around them. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have to keep like a force field around mm-hmm. you, like a yardstick. Yeah, I have a yardstick that I swing around with your kids. I'm like five meters, five. <laughs> There's a parole officer <laughs> with a clipboard. <laughs> well, There's a cop with a gun pointed right at my head. <laughs> but I make them hug you. Uh, I make them. I force them. Yeah. Uh, and I, they, I mean, my kids are goofballs. They, they're, they're, uh, they, they love it, but you always have a hard time. I didn't come from a hugging family, so it's weird. It's weird to me to hug kids, especially. Why? I don't know. You're just not supposed to hug kids. I think that's the opposite. I think you're supposed to hug kids. I just get in my head about it. <laughs> I mean, I think it is really annoying, uh, because I don't know. It's just stupid ass comedians, I guess. Uh, or just, I, I will tell you, I think the part that makes me most uncomfortable, and I know these are your kids, so I apologize, but they are like right at like dick level with yeah. me. So when they go to hug me, it's like their head is like right next to my dick, and I don't, I don't well, care for that so much. Yeah, but I mean, you know, they're not, you know, they're not. I know they're not going to make a move, but it starts still. sucking you off <laughs> while they're hugging you or something. I don't know. You're like, what if I get a boner? <laughs> what if? Uh, I think that is a thing for a lot of dudes. I, I mean, I also don't know. I mean, my my son, both my kids like to kiss me on the lips to say like good night or really? whatever. Yeah, you do a kiss on the lips, a kiss on the lips with tongue, with tongue. Uh, wow, no, <laughs> really? <laughs> no, they do kiss me on the lips. You light and, a candle. You play some Kenny G. Yeah, no, I, I I did not initiate that. I'm not sure how that started, but they definitely, you know, they kiss me on the lips before they go to bed, and I'm still not comfortable yeah i'm not comfortable with that either honestly Uh, but you know it's like uh, there's going to be a time when they're not going to want to even talk to me right so i'm kind of that's coming very soon yeah that is down the pipe it it really is no it's uh and i'm i i just want to soak up as much you know uh you know 
of them liking me as possible. Sure, I get that. You know, so I, I try not, and I don't want to stifle their mm-hmm. affection. Like only queers kiss on the lips. <laughs> you know, it's my. You know, but I, I, uh, I, so I don't know. I just let it go. But there, I have this. You men, my my friends being uncomfortable with my kids being affectionate has been a theme in my life since they were born. It was just never part of my life. We didn't touch much, you know, even like when I see my dad, like my parents are coming in town next week and like as soon as they get here, I know the awkward part is going to be having to hug my dad when we, he leaves. And we like we do it and it's literally like two fucking mailboxes trying to hug. <laughs> two mailboxes? Two mailboxes trying to hug each other. <laughs> we just like stiffly go in like the robot from Wizard of Oz, not the robot, the tin man. Um I, I think I told you this when I, I tried to hug my grandpa for the first time when I was like 21. Like I was, <laughs> I was trying to make an effort to be like, hey, no, I'm going to hug people that I love because yeah. they don't have much longer on this earth. Absolutely. And I go in to hug him. We, we're walking out of Chili's. You know, we just had a good Chili's meal, uh-huh. beer battered chicken, some corn on the cob. I'm feeling Oof. full. How I, much, I mean, and your grandpa's a little loose from the beer batter, probably. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, he's a real Tito taller. <laughs> a, t- a what? A Tito Tito taller. He drinks taller? a lot of Titos. Uh, oh, Ooh, no, 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 no. I love that Titos. He's a Tito Tito tall. Is what is it? Teeter totter. No, t- yeah, he's a teeter totter. My grandpa's <laughs> an old plank of wood that kids sit on and go up and down. And sometimes a fat kid will sit on it, and then uh-huh. he can't. He realizes he's too fat to do uh-huh. it. Um, yeah, we get three kids on the other side. <laughs> This isn't fair. Life's not fair. Gravity is racist. <laughs> Gravity is being uh, offensive to me. I'm offended. All right. We used to, when we were kids, me and Ben, Ben was like 80 pounds till he was 16. Like he was like five foot two. He's um, still not much more than 80 pounds. No, he's not much more than 80 pounds. And but he eats I, like a pig. I know. A fucking, fucking gross ass piece of shit. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. Let's burn him alive. <laughs> I love your brother. I no, he's great. Um, I love you, and I love your brother. Don't, don't, hey, don't, don't go back to this story. But I want you. So you tried to hug your grandpa, who had some beer batter in him. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And what happened at Chili's? So I go in for the hug outside of Chili's. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm like, if if we're gonna hug anywhere, it's out front of Chili's. <laughs> There's a camera crew. There's there. a camera crew. Yeah, it's like punked. Come <laughs> to Chili's where you'll hug your grandson for the first time. Yeah, I turn to the camera and I'm like, I wink, and yeah. there's like a gold sparkle in my eye. One tear. <laughs> No, but I go to hug him, and literally, I'm like reaching my arms around him, and he he reaches up to grab my hand and like forces <laughs> me into a handshake. And he's like, "All right, well, it's good to see you." And then I think he felt bad about that in yeah. retrospect because the next time we did it, he went to initiate the hug, and I was like, "Oh god!" It was like it was so awkward. It Jesus. really was. It was like two. It really was like two pieces of wood trying to hug. That's so ridiculous. It was not great. It's like two guns trying to embrace. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, uh, we just didn't do it. We did not. I mean, there was like, there was probably a period in my life where I went five years, like besides handshakes without touching another human being. Wow. Like it just didn't happen. We weren't in a, we weren't a really affectionate family. I can't really remember my dad hugging me. What about mom? Did mom give hugs? Uh, not when we were growing up. My mom was very cold when we were growing up. And now she's like very into hugging. Like she'll hug me. I'm like, all right, Jesus Christ. But it's <laughs> just, just not. No, you can't win with you, man. It's just not built into my DNA. There's like stuff. Yeah. Like ages zero to 15, you're kind of like made. Right. And you can fight it, but it's just not going to. There's not going to be a part of my DNA. There's no gene that's like, oh, a hug. This is great. Right. It's, you know. 
How do you think that came to be? Because I'll tell you, when I was in, in college, I had to do a, pro- a project called a genogram, mm-hmm. uh, which was a family tree with emotional connections. A bunch of genas in a tree. A bunch of gina trees, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Gina from yeah, our, our, our old co-worker. coworker who got fired. I just farted. Kevin farted. Uh, you, shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't fart. It's bad. Right. Uh, but my wife made homemade chili, so... Yeah, what are you gonna do? It's a compliment. is that your euphemism for sex now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me and my wife are gonna make some chili. Oh Jesus, a little no. five layer. Yeah, I, I don't think a little five layer. Um, yeah, uh, what, so I had to look at essentially the relationship that my mom had with her parents, like metaphysically, not genealogy wise. Well, genealogy. So yeah, and then you had to say, was this was it an overattached relationship? Was it a distant relationship? Right. Was it a, a securely attached relationship? Mm-hmm. And so I noticed my mom has this distant relationship with her, her, uh, her father, mm-hmm. and her, you know, kind of a distant relationship with her mom. And then when she has kids, she overattaches to him as a comp overcompensation type of thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so. You know, just kind of. And I also think she was just looking for, still looking for, you know, the love that she didn't get. Uh, but do you? Why do you think? what was your Mm. your your parents relationship with my parents both of my grandparents were really like they weren't the greatest generation but they might as well been yeah and how they acted you know like my mom's side is like very like we're accountants and we're very you know everything's very clean and proper and we talk about um this nonfiction book we just read on the new york times bestseller list and my dad's side of the family is like these old sharecropper types who just like, you know, they used to like beat the shit out of my dad. <laughs> really? Like, just old fashioned, you know. Old fashioned style. Just old fashioned style. Beating the shit out of your kids. That's old fashioned. I open the doors for women and I beat my kids. <laughs> I'm old fashioned. I'll, I see a woman walking up to a door. I'll open the door into my son's face. <laughs> That's right. And if she's my wife, I smack her. <laughs> Because I'm old-fashioned. I'm old-fashioned. I'm an old-fashioned kind of guy. So they, I think both of my parents live within it, or at least, no, they probably still have it a lot, had a very intense, I think, sense of shame. And just, you know, when you live with that, because I had that same shame for a long time. I still do, naturally. Yeah. It's very hard to bond to people, I think, or to be open with people because you're just so, like, fucked up on your own stuff, you know? Yeah. Like, you're not going to be like, I'm sure there's part of them that's like, oh, why don't you like hug your son or like, why can't you do it? And it's just, there's just a barrier there. You can't do it, you know? Yeah. Well, it's we're just- going to heal you, bro. I mean, we're going to heal you uh, with my kids. Uh, they're going to keep hugging yeah. you until you're comfortable with it. <laughs> until I just start crying. But one not day. too comfortable. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I feel like I almost need that, like that therapy they give to like those Russian orphans who grow up in cribs, not being touched for eight years. Or yeah. you just have to hold them in your lap and make eye contact with them for three hours. I, I th- feel like there's a part of me that needs that. I think it's good. Well, if you ever want to sit in my lap and have me hold you, you know, I'm your guy. All right. Well, there is there, <laughs> there is something weird about father figures with me because of that. Like, if I'm ever at a job, my boss always becomes my dad immediately. Yeah. And I think I told you at the job I have currently, my old boss, who's no longer my boss now, um, there was a customer who was really angry at me and he was like chewing me out. And it was just, I was new. I made a mistake and I was sorry for that. And he was just kind of being a dick. And um, he told me at one point over the phone, he's like, I, I, he's like, I'm going to tell your boss that I'm, you, he should be ashamed of the way you performed that. your duties. Yeah. And I was so fucking upset because it's like, right. you know, that's like, oh, I'm fucking up for my dad or whatever. And then my boss literally comes up to me because he had heard the phone call. And he goes, hey, just ignore that guy. You deal with dicks sometimes. And he goes, I just want you to let you know, me and everybody here, we're really proud 
of the work you're doing. We're, we think you're doing a great job, and I'm really proud of you. And I, I choke up sometimes now thinking yeah. of that because that's something I never got as a kid. Yeah. I literally had to. I was like, thank you. And I literally had to go in the bathroom because I was just, I started sobbing because it was like yeah. this PTSD thing. Like it was yeah. like this thing I never got in my entire life was like, hey, I'm proud of you. Yeah. You know, I always got like, hey, you're special because I was really smart right. as a kid and was like gifted at a lot of stuff. But there was never like, hey, I'm proud of you for you. Yeah. You're, you're doing great at being yourself. Mm-hmm. None that of is, that. That's hard, man. Uh, I mean, I I may I might even smother my kids a little bit because I try to do a lot of that stuff, and uh, then when I'm yelling at them, I'm like, "Don't you dare take me for granted! <laughs> you don't appreciate me. I tell you, I love you, and I'm proud of you." How do you think you're gonna fuck up your kids? Like, what are your your kids' um, mental issues gonna be when they're adults? Um, do you feel comfortable talking about this? By the way, you don't have to if you don't want to. I totally feel comfortable talking about this. Uh, the uh, I don't know. I I really don't know. Um, there is. My dad said I'm hard on my kids. He told me he goes, "You're pretty. Uh, you're pretty hard on them. You're pretty. You're pretty intense with them." Mm-hmm. And uh, because I don't allow them to be assholes, I really have a problem with that when they're being selfish um or rude i i don't put up with that so Mm -hmm. i will i and my wife's complained about this i've had to deal with this with my father uh i've heard about this a lot i have a tone i get a tone oh i know the tone and it's not good it's a bad tone Mm -hmm. and it's and so when i get upset that's what goes on and so i will in an effort to try to help them, and mm-hmm. I'm not like in control. I'm always in control. Uh, I'm not. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm like, I'm upset and I'm frustrated. But you know, when they're being mean, I'll just be like, so you want to be alone your whole life? So you just don't want to have friends, That's, right? You, so you enjoy being alone and having everybody dislike you. Is that the goal here? <laughs> and they we like, Dad, why are you being mean? I'm like, No, I'm not. You're being mean. You're being a jerk right now to your brother. And if that's how you want to continue to act, then you're not going to have any friends. So you can either change right now or you can not have any friends. What's it going to be? And yeah, just, that is very intense. They'll look at me just like, uh, and I'm like, and then I'll be I'll, like, come here. Yeah, because I've seen you have that tone. I think you don't realize how um, aggressive it comes across. Yeah, I, I don't. Because I don't think you're trying to be aggressive, but it's very, it is very aggressive. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh I think that's probably why I've gotten into some borderline fights in my life mm-hmm. uh, because of that tone. And it's 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 hereditary. You know, it's definitely and it's probably, you know, learned environmental as well. Well, it's it's two things. It's it, the, the, the problems with I think is number one, it's it's two things that people hate. It's aggression, which people hate aggression towards them, and then right. it's sarcastic, which people hate sarcasm. So like if I'm just being sarcastic, I'm like, Oh yeah, that seems like a great idea. Yeah. You'll be alone yeah. your whole life. You're like, fucking dick. Yeah. But then you like add aggression on top. It's like, what the fuck, man? Do you hate me? Like, what's yeah. going on? And I just, I get, because I am upset and I, and I'm trying to be logical too. Uh-huh. So like that situation, that's a conversation that I've had with my kids before. We're just like, what are you doing? Do you think that goes into the fact that you are always responsible for your mom's emotions? So it's like. I think it's like you trying to control other people's emotions, which I suffer from the same thing. Probably. I just do it differently. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, yeah, I, I think that that's some of it. I mean, there's also been times where 
that brings to mind it's like with with my kids where sometimes like uh, i'll be like why you know why don't you treat your brother that way or why don't you treat your sister that way because i'll get in trouble and i'm like no it's because it's it's the wrong thing to do and when you do the wrong thing you should feel bad Mm -hmm. should feel bad about being rude to your siblings or whatever right the other thing that and now now i'm on a diatribe Mm -hmm. one one of the things that uh that has molded me as a person and that fucks me up is i don't i have a hard time accepting people's emotions as genuine sometimes um so if somebody's crying i won't mean it like i've i've there's been times where me and my wife will be in a fight and and she'll start getting emotional and i'll be like look we still need to have this conversation just because you're crying doesn't mean i'm wrong mm-hmm. you know just because it just you know what i mean like right uh i brought this up because we need to talk about this. this is important i understand that it's emotionally difficult to talk about it but i'm not just going to stop because you're crying mm-hmm. you know uh or you know, not that stop, but just uh, it. It doesn't mean my essentially because my mom used to just use her emotions to just like manipulate. So you're on all gu- you're on guard for manipulation, big time. Yeah, I get that. I feel the way about that. I think that I have a lot of problems with women because of that because I'll naturally don't fart while I'm talking about my relationship <laughs> with women. I'm sorry, the chili, bro. <laughs> the it's chili. so good. Yeah, you had by so the much way. sex. Yeah, <laughs> I had so much sex. So much a little five inch chili. That's right. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. I'll have that problem with women that I date, where it's like very like after my first relationship, it got very, you know, I I just it's like it's the Freudian thing. You start dating your mom because that's the model you know for love. It's yeah. like in my mom, it was like always like I am freaking out right now, and I feel terrible in me being like, "Hey, come on, it's okay." It's like it's like my it's right. it's right. my childhood was me calming a wild horse <laughs> to try and get it from stop kicking people in the head. Yeah, that was my job as a child. So now I will I well I used to date women who are very much in emotional distress, and it was my job to make them feel better. Yeah. And then you do that for long enough, and it becomes a one note relationship, and you get kind of fed up. So now um, that I'm dating, I like. Like, I haven't dated anybody seriously in a while because at the first sign of that type of behavior, I will kind of be like, Ugh, all right, I need to keep an arm's length. Like, I'll still, I still naturally want to fall in love with mentally ill women. Oh, yeah. Admittedly, but like now I'm very much like, they're like, yeah, you know, it was just a tough day. And like, like let's say we're on the fourth day and they're like, yeah, I had a tough day. And like, blah, blah, blah. And they like want me to like be like, oh, man, that sucks. There's a part of me that's like, okay, I can't be doing this anymore right yeah I, it's it's nice to be needed and who's needed more than the boyfriend of a mentally ill person you know what i mean no that is 100 percent what it is it's like a very much um i'm you know feel like you don't deserve like love so you got to like pursue these relationships where you know you're the better person mm-hmm. in the relationship whether it be through attraction or behavior or funniness or anything like that i mean that was my first ex-girlfriend she always told me that she was like i feel like you know you're better than me and one day you're gonna realize that and leave me wow yeah and uh, i would always be like no what are you talking about you just visit her under the bridge and bring her sandwiches (laughs) she's like i feel like you're ready (laughs) you know that you're better than me and 
one of these days you're going to stop visiting me oh, under geez. the overpass. I, I date the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I could see you doing it. You know, dating the oh, Joker. Sure. Harley Quinn. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bones up I'll for Harley Quinn. Bone, two bones up. <laughs> two bones up. Siskel and Ebert's porn <laughs> reviews. <laughs> Two bones up. Two bones up. I was in the movie theater. I could barely stop myself from jacking it. <laughs> this movie gets me fully engorged. What about you, Ebert? <laughs> Personally, I was limp as a biscuit watching the entire film. <laughs> well, that's how it goes. That's that's fully engorged and limp as a biscuit. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Hey, you guys get out of the studio. You can't be in here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Two Dicks. <laughs> Being chased out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I... Uh, one of those things about I, I don't even know the the emotional neediness or like I I don't know how I ended up with my wife I really don't um, I I remember at I mean I I know obviously that the actual story but I'm always afraid that she's gonna be gone I mean they they walk they walked to the school today mm-hmm. they rode scooters to the school while I was taking a nap like they birded up. That, no, yeah, they, well, they got their own birds. They're little minion scooters. Ooh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, they, so when I woke up, I was alone in the house with the dog, and the car was out front. And I, for whatever reason, was just like, maybe they're gone. <laughs> maybe, maybe she finally figured it out that I'm a piece of shit and that she can do way better. And that's my, my, my th- thing. A lot of times I'll like be like, in my head, I'll just be like, man, I just wish my wife could find just some some handsome, burly, you know, low mm-hmm. body fat percentage brown right. guy, you know, that's just got a great tan and and can <sighs> pick her up and throw her around and, yeah. you know, and, and uh, will go want to play with the kids all the time. And, you know, he works on the house and he makes great. He loves his job, you sure. know. Uh, and I just feel bad for my wife sometimes because I'm just like, you know, I'm just like, uh, uh, this is my, my, my neutral mm-hmm. in, in our, in like, as a dad and like, uh, just as in life is like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> what do you, where do you want to eat? Eh, yeah, wherever you want to eat. I, yeah. I'm not sure. I just want to make you happy. Yeah. What a loser. And so, like, <laughs> so like I, uh, you know, it's one of those things we've had, me and Jenny have had multiple conversations where she's literally holding me by the face and going like, I'm not going anywhere. Right. Like, knock it off. I love you. We're like, we're fine. Um, but I feel that way dating now because I've been really, um, you know, I've been on commission now for three months at this job. Yeah. And it's starting to become less stressful. Nice. I've built up enough money in the bank. You know, I have like $90,000 in savings. So wow. no, I, I don't, I don't. Ladies, like, listen up I just to like this. to throw that around. Yeah. I do not, but I have built up some savings now, so it's a little calmer. But the last couple months, I've just been so stressed. I've been eating like just literally like shit out of the garbage. Like I'll shit into the literally. garbage and then eat the shit out of the garbage. <laughs> and I've like clearly put on weight and I look shitty and I feel shitty. And I can't even go on dates right now because I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I show up, then nobody's going to be wanting to like date me. I look like I'm like fat as hell. I'm so gross. Um, it's not noticeable. Uh, <sighs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just a problem. You know, I feel like oh, there's a car driving past that sounded like the THX logo. Seriously. Weirdly. I was like, Jesus, is this the apocalypse mm-hmm. right now? They're coming. I, I hope I die during a podcast. That is why I want to. Um, that would be great. No, but there is a certain thing. I mean, we talked about it ad nauseum, but like 
if you can't give yourself the love and support that you need, you're going to have to get it from other people. And it's just, there's no way you can do it. You know, like you start wanting to control people's emotions, how they view you. And then you just start having these panic attacks all day. You're like, Oh, something happened. That's going to change the way people think about me. Right. It's it's just, it's literally the worst. It's like a control problem. It's like, you know, with addiction or anything, you know, like I've struggled with addiction. You know, you've struggled with addiction. Nope. I think, well, (laughs) you're addicted to loving your wife and your kids. Uh, (laughs) You're addicted to being a good father. That's right. Um, But I think that's a real, you know, like from going to therapy, I realized I thought addiction was a lack of control problem. And that's what they really try to stress in addiction groups like anonymous groups is Mm -hmm. that um, it's not a lack of control. It's it's a, a too much control problem. It's people who are can't allow themselves to feel negatively like you can't allow yourself you'll get a negative emotion a negative thought and you'll go no i can't feel that yeah and you'll fight against it and you can't not feel an emotion that you're that is in your body i can (laughs) i try real i just gotta try hard right so you press it down and then that emotion is going to manifest itself in some way you have to make yourself feel better somehow whether it be through food or cocaine or like you know drinking or like beating your wife or fucking a strange person that you don't care about right that has to that emotion you did not allow yourself to feel has to manifest itself somehow yeah because it'll just build up and like i've gone like weeks without like journaling or anything this happened last week and i was feeling really bad i'm like okay let's just journal and i'm literally writing like i'm a piece of shit and i want to fucking die and i'm gonna be homeless and i should yeah. kill myself and i was literally like crying like on the pages like a like a hack thing yeah. and then i felt like terrible for like 10 minutes i'm like why did i even fucking do this i feel worse now hmm. and then i swear to god within a half hour it was just gone i you had got it out i had processed it and i felt i'd felt better the next day yeah and i went a whole day without eating like 80 fucking donuts and like a bucket of fried chicken <laughs> that sounds good because i didn't it is good i mean it's good in the moment um because i had like allowed myself to get uh, those fucking emotions <laughs> Sorry, I just ate 80 donuts and a bucket of fried chicken. Oh, it's quite all right. Yeah. You got to give yourself a break, you know? Thanks, buddy. <laughs> well, I think you've said it a thousand times, but you know what you really need to do is probably just be harder on yourself. Uh, you know what? You're fucking right. <laughs> fucking A, man. Well, that's like the... And sorry, I'm monopolizing the conversation, but um, that's the problem for me is I feel like if I ease up on myself because so much of my like fucking being mentally ill is like putting all this pressure on myself and then it ends up me not doing anything. Oh yeah. Because I'm like, I'll just do, I'll be perfect. I'll start being perfect tomorrow for the rest of my life. Today I'll be a piece of shit. And then tomorrow from 8am I will be perfect until the day I die. Mm -hmm. And part of me really truly still believes in my body. Like my mind knows it's false, but my body still very much believes it that if I ease up on myself, it's just going to get worse. Like, it's just going to be like, if I'm like, do whatever you want, I'm just going to smoke weed all day and literally like live in like shit and yeah, like wallow and just play video games and like just become homeless and like fat as shit mm-hmm. and just like have a terrible life. A fat homeless guy with a portable TV. Yeah, and a fat, PS4. A fat homeless guy. <laughs> I've, I've somehow uh, rigged a gaming rig in a, cardboard box under your wheelchair yeah exactly <laughs> spare change as i'm playing call of duty spare change get Ch- out of the way <laughs> put it in the cup <laughs> shit god 
damn I it. keep dying. The teenage homeless guy? Yeah. The fuck? <laughs> Can somebody make me a goddamn sandwich? Jesus. It's just you're just yelling, Mom. <laughs> Mom, make me a sandwich. You're on the street. Right. You're like, somebody should help this. I'm on like seven-year-old. La Cienega and Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> Pizza pockets. Please. <laughs> You're such a bitch. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, <clears throat> I, uh, I, the, I, so the, one of the things that I've done to like break out a lot of that stuff is like, I remember my dad telling me to save money, uh-huh. like when I was like a kid, right? And I was like, you know, eleven, twelve, because I had my first job when I was eleven, mm-hmm. and uh, coal mining, coal mining, yeah, and uh, yeah, I used to, I used you to load sixteen tons, <laughs> number nine coal. <laughs> I had to keep up with the old folks, or right. they would they would throw me into the pit. Yeah, well, boss man said, "Bless your soul." That's right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I would I had a paper route, you know, and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I just Rolling remember papers. Ro- <laughs> I just ro- I rolled doobies right. for the local guys. You're throwing zigzags on porches. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on the mat, right. okay? My zigzags keep you ending up in the juniper bushes. <laughs> you ain't gonna get your tip. I ask, I'm a bugle house. You know that, <laughs> everybody. Hey, where are my blunt wraps, by the way? <laughs> I was supposed to get blunt wraps on Sunday. I got guts. Nothing but guts. <laughs> but I remember my dad telling me to save money, and I never wanted to do it, mm-hmm. you know, because I wanted to spend my money. Right. And I don't know what – there was, like, I, I had some sort of forethought or some sort of awakening where it was, like, I have to ignore this inside knowledge or, like, that thing where you're saying, you know, if I let up, it's all, I'm mean, all going to go. You to have to ignore the tendency to want to save money or spend money. Is yes. What you're but I mean, I think that there's a thing inside of all of us mm-hmm. where there's a voice or there's like a, a kind of a default, you know, mode that you're in where mm-hmm. essentially you, th- you at your core can't, you can't let up or it's going to, you're going to, it's going to be go all downhill. Right. But intellectually, you know that that's probably not accurate. Yes. You know what I mean? But for some reason in your heart or in your your coding, it's that way. And so there's been a lot of things for me where I literally am like grinding my gears forward to do what I know intellectually to be true, even though my emotions think that I'm completely inaccurate. So like for you to be able to be like, tomorrow I'm going to do it. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. go run right now. And then you do that, you know what I mean? And then... Uh, you go off like I can't let up. I can't, uh, you know, I can't have this. Yeah, well, I think this the, sandwich. It's I, uh, <laughs> it'll be game over. You know, it's just like no, you can have the sandwich, mm-hmm. and then you can grind your, you know, just force yourself to do the right thing that you know intellectually is the right thing. Right. Um, and I think once you do that for a long enough time, it starts to, you know, you start to to do yeah. it. And I I use I always used to go through cycles. I haven't recently. I think it's because I've been going to therapy long enough now. But my cycles were always your moon cycles. My moon cycles. I was like, now I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> I'm not a piece of shit. I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> I burned somebody's house down. Oh, sorry. Oh my god, it's been a crazy month. <laughs> 
Sorry. It's a blood moon. I killed your dog. Oh, well. It's Sorry. Just, that's just how I am. That's, that's me. I'm a blood rising. That is one of my least favorite things when somebody does something shitty or whatever. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, I'm sorry, I'm going to work on it. And I'm trying to try not to do that. They'll go just like, look, that's just how I am. Yeah, dude. Right. <laughs> I get pissed. I wave a gun around in a Walgreens. <laughs> bro. Look, I fire into a crowd sometimes. Yeah. That's just who I am. Like bro. you're on trial. Like you're yeah. on a my client is a Virgo. And as we all know, Virgos are very two-sided in their nature. I mean, uh, Your Honor, if you will look at the <laughs> if you will look at the Japanese restaurant uh, placemat, you will notice that my client is a monkey. Now, <laughs> monkeys are very mischievous. Well, okay, all right. I don't like that guy with that voice saying that sentence. Okay, see, you had to go there. I had to go there. I was going to say cock because that's what I am. On I'm the- a dragon. Are you a dragon? Yeah. Like dragon D's nuts. Oh, I think I'm a horse, actually. Horse and D's nuts. <laughs> um, uh, to okay. get back to my point before we completely lose it, I think the big thing for me, my therapist always talks about the inner child thing, mm-hmm. which I'm still not entirely comfortable with just because I'll be honest, it sounds gay as fuck <laughs> to talk about your inner child. Yep. It makes um, you like men. Yeah, it makes you it makes you take penis inside your ass. Um, Wow. Yep. Sorry, I had to burp. It's all right. This is it's appropriate point. (laughs) Um, We talk about a lot about how because you know I grew up so Christian, and my parents were so fucking like I grew up in like an environment that just makes you fucked up. You've met my brother. You know what he's like. We're both so very fucked up in our different ways i still feel like i'm seeing the outside a little bit you let it in you let it out a little bit more well to show kind of how mm -hmm. it's affected you i think ben does i don't know if he's just has stuffed it down more or because he just accepted it that he didn't have to you know i think accountable for that stuff yeah i think we we dealt with it differently like like i took that oppressive environment and I was like, okay, I'll just be Jesus Christ. Yeah. I will be the Messiah. I'll be perfect. Everyone will love me. So I became very hard on myself. I became even more emotional than I naturally. I was always a naturally very emotional guy, but I became even more emotional trying to become in tune with everybody. And I think Ben's way of dealing with that was I will become, I don't want to say subhuman, but I will separate myself from my own um personality in a little bit <laughs> that, that was, was a good click yeah, i like that click yeah um, from my own personality personality um like literally i will become separate from i will become like a joker type figure or a crow type figure embrace absurdism and kind of become almost like autistic right in a way where he's like you can't hurt me i'm not real right kind of type way and right. i went the exact opposite way um where i was like i was like you can hurt me it'll make you feel better right um oh yeah i that's that that's where i land too right like i mean like, like i'm a, bulletproof shit on me all you want you like i don't a, care well that's the thing is i'd start crying but like a metaphor for me would be like like i remember my parents like arguing at a very early age and me being like five years old i literally like i stood up and i go i like walked up to him and i go don't argue god would want you to love each other Oh, yeah. And I'm like, this is my job is to be like the fucking 
counselor of God for my parents. I did that same stuff, man. So I think because of that, we talk about how the inner child like never really got any love or acceptance. Like you kind of grow up if you like were the child of like narcissistic parents or you grew up in a very Christian type of cultish, very oppressive rules type of environment, you develop this thing where as a kid, it's very difficult to be getting negative energies from your parents. Yeah. Um, as a kid, it's literally because your parents are your, there's this really good book called um, healing the shame within you. I think it's by a guy named like John Bradshaw or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he talks about how children in very oppressive environments like that, literally because their parents are their God, you know, as a child, your parent, your dad is your God. Your mom is your goddess. Yeah. You literally can't imagine a world like your brain is physically incapable of imagining a world where they are in the wrong. Yep. So it is literally easier for your brain to d- take in that mistreatment and go, oh, they are right. And I am flawed. Right. And so a way How do I fit into this a way logic? to basically protect yourself is you start to identify with your parents. So you develop these two personalities. One is the inner child, the person who needed all this love and acceptance and allowed to feel emotions and allowed to feel bad and just be held. And another part of you is your fucking mom and dad. And I have my mom and my dad's voice inside of me constantly being very, very hard on that inner child part of me where that inner child is like, I feel sad. And then like the mom or dad is like, why are you don't feel sad? Why are you feeling sad right now? Yeah. Or like, why are you like, it's like, I want to eat a sandwich. Like, why do you want to eat a sandwich? What, what is the, what the fuck is wrong with you? You can't eat a goddamn vegetable. Look at you, how you fucking live. Yeah. It's a horrible inner. Dialogue. And so, and so that's the thing is like, when I say like, be harder on myself, I don't mean like, Hey, maybe you should get up and, you know, clean your bed. It's not, it's more like, Hey, maybe I should stop going. You fucking suck. You That's piece exactly. of shit. That's what I'm saying too. Yeah. And so it's like a lot of like, there's like this inner guided, like inner child, like guided meditation where you're supposed to like imagine yourself in a field with a 12 year old representation of you. Yep. And you just go up to it and you're like, Hey, I love you. And I accept you and just know that I'll be here for you. I apologize that I wasn't here for you in the past. And then you just like embrace that child. And a thing I've been trying recently is if I feel really bad or like, let's say something goes bad at work. And I'm just like, oh, this is going to fuck up. And then I'm going to get in trouble and everybody's going to be mad at me. Like I will literally now say out loud if I'm in an opportunity to like talk to myself privately and not seem crazy, I will go, hey, I know you're worried that this like installation is going to go very badly and you're going to lose the deal and you're going to lose money and then your boss is going to be upset at you and then he's going to like talk to you about how you need to do a better job. I understand that you're feeling that and it's okay that you're feeling that that's a valid concern, but huh. I want to let you know that I am proud of you and I love you and you don't need to do anything to be deserving of affection. It's literally okay. It's okay to worry, but it, everything is going to be okay. That's awesome. In the end. <clears throat> and if I remember to do that, it ends up better. I feel better at the end of the day. I'm not going to bed and my neck's fucking tight and I have a headache Right. I spent all day just constantly gritting my teeth, trying to make everything go the way it should go in order to have my own fucked up mind be okay with being alive. Right. That's, that's the thing is like, if like a, like somebody with a mind like mine is living a successful life, literally a life where I'm crushing it in every category and I'm ahead of everybody. Then I feel 
I feel like fucking crack cocaine, you know, right. <laughs> like there was like that one month when I first went off commission, I made so much fucking money and I like, I like fucked a hot girl and then like, you know, like things were just going good. And I was like, yes, like I'm the best. I'm number fucking one <laughs> and I'm walking yeah. around like big cock, big cock Avery over here You buy a trench coat, trench coat, like aviator sunglasses. <laughs> I'm like fucking Fonzie in my head. You get a sawed off shotgun. Yeah, for so some I, reason. I just start shooting people in the face. <laughs> I'm like, I fucking rule, <laughs> but that only lasts for two days and then you're right back in the shit again. It's so nuts how that works. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I remember explaining to a, a small group that I was in a Bible study back in the day when I was doing that, and I remember talking to them through my inner monologue mm-hmm. and just being, you know, kind of going through the the thing and just them being like Jesus, like <laughs> you know, yeah. like going like really that's because my inner monologue is very much just like. Well, if you well, the problem is that you're going, you're having, uh, you know, uh, in my head, I'll just be like, I, I suck, I fucking hate this. This is ridiculous. And mm-hmm. well, you're only feeling that way because you don't have a job. Maybe if you weren't such a piece of shit, maybe you could go get yourself a job and then you'd be fine. And mm-hmm. eh, it's probably actually not even that though, Kevin. Because I mean, even if you have a job, remember how stressed out you were with that other job? But yeah, but you got to have a job. You know, mm-hmm. you got to get one. Well, you have a job, but you're doing this thing. You're trying to be an actor and like. You know, do do stand up, and you're you know you're hitting the road. You're making some money, and you're making some headway. Yeah, but are you really though, Kevin? You know, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, that's kind of a pipe dream. An idiot, only an idiot would do that. Oh, you yeah. know that to be true. What are you doing? You're a fucking horrible husband. You're a horrible dad. You're letting them down, mm-hmm. and they're just. They're going along with it, and they're even saying and encouraging you because they're such good people. <laughs> but if you were a better person, you would just sacrifice it all for them and get a job. But then I'd still be sad. And so that I remember like going through that with somebody and mm-hmm. them just being like, yeah, you, uh, you, you got to stop doing that, man. <laughs> you, uh, that's bad. Don't do that anymore. Right. There are these. Sorry, I cut you off. No, I, the other thing, the other element of it was the thing about Christianity that, that can really screw you up is mm-hmm. all the stuff that you've been talking about and you, you know that, that kind of stuff that I would talking about, there would be an element to that where, I mean, I remember he's talking to my dad. I love my dad. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm very grateful for my dad. Grateful for my dad. And, and uh, but I just remember, you know, him, me telling him my thoughts and just like not feeling good. And he's going, "Well, have you break, have you been praying about it?" Oh uh, yeah. And then you know somebody going, just like I don't know what it is. I just I feel like I'm out of shape, and I just you know I've been doing this, and they're going, "Well, <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> you know that's real obvious to me. You know, friend, is that you've got a Jesus sized heart hole in your heart." <laughs> You got Jesus shaped hole in your heart, Kevin. You keep trying to fill it with accomplishments and relationships, and mm-hmm. you got to put Jesus in there. And I'm just going, okay. I guess all the the millions of uh, hours of research that psychologists have done on the human condition is just uh, uh, just bullshit. Or mm-hmm. uh, like, so maybe there's other stuff out there. I don't know. And they're going, well, that's a problem with these. You know, you don't you, you focus on the Lord. You don't focus on the world. Mm-hmm. And that's your problem right now. You're trying to focus on the world. I'm just going, okay. Yeah. Okay. So then you're just stuck in the same loop. And a relationship with God is really, like, I don't not believe in God anymore, but I definitely don't believe in the God I used to. Um, I'm kind of ambivalent on that. I honestly don't really give a shit anymore. Yeah. But the relationship with God that you have in the Christian church, in most cases, there are some churches that are very progressive and very loving. And I knew people who went to those and were very happy. 
but the relationship that I think you had with God and the relationship I definitely had with God, it was an abusive relationship. It was, hey, there is this all-powerful knowing thing, and he is ashamed of you, and he was always watching you. And every time you fall short, you make him sad. And if you make him sad more than you make him happy, when you die, you will go to a place for all eternity where you will be tortured in for infinity. You will be tortured. And by the way, we were being told this at seven, right? At set. I remember we, I was like, I, I was, I was like 11 and I had not been baptized yet, which, you know, is a big deal. In the Christian church, when a man becomes of age, you know, like around usually around like somewhere between 11 to 15, he chooses to be baptized. And that's him saying, I am a man and I am no longer a child. And if you should have been baptized and you chose not to and you die, you go to hell. Oh, really? That's how you that's what what I was taught. So I remember being 11 and I was so terrified of getting baptized because I mean, hey, it's the big league. Sin really counts. Right after you're baptized, but I was like, I think I I know that I need to get baptized, but I was still so scared to like start. I was so scared to start being official, and I remember I would lay in bed. I I remember this so specific because it's burned into my memory. I would lay in bed in Abilene, Texas. We lived next to an Air Force base at the time. I'd share a bed with Ben, and I'd just be staring at the ceiling like 2 a.m., and I had been told as a kid that God would destroy the world and a wall of fire. Um, I remember I had actually watched the movie Independence Day. Um, sorry, not Independence Day, Judgment Day, T2. Oh, yeah. And there's that scene where she gets this, she's having a dream sequence. She gets destroyed by an atom bomb. Right. I watched it when I was a kid. I didn't know. I thought that was the actual Judgment Day happening, a wall of fire coming and destroying everybody. And I remember I was 12 and I lay in bed. I just like replay that over and over again. Good. God. And I was like, I remember I'd be like, you're not baptized. And I would, I knew like the judgment day would come like a thief in the night. And I'd be staring at my wall. I'm like, could come now. Wallfire now. Right. Wallfire now. I'm dead. Hell. Wallfire yeah. now. Like literally over and over and over again. Literally being terrified that at any moment my life would end and I would go to hell for all eternity. Man. And yeah. it's just, I mean, I. That's brutal. It's brutal. I mean, I give, I think it's the weird thing is like I focus usually I talk about my parents with this type of stuff. But you forget how much of it is just Christianity really just raping you in the ass yeah, over well, and over and, again. And, I, and I'll say in defense of, of Christianity is no. that, that, <laughs> uh, that your interpretation of the Bible is, or your interpretation that was given to you mm-hmm. is not an interpretation that I ever had. Right. Um, and I would say that it's incredibly biblically inaccurate if you're going to look at the Bible as a... A fact or well, whatever. Well, now I'm going to disagree with you on this one. <laughs> <laughs> but they always used to preach, you know, it was faith alone, God alone, through Christ alone. You know, there was no baptism. It wasn't like yeah. you needed something else. They would also preach that, you know, everybody's a sinner, even one sin. You know, the sin of your coming into this world equals you go to hell. And the reason that Jesus had to come was because of that even one sin. So he died for our sins so that you wouldn't have to burn in hell forever. So. You were covered if you, you know, if you had faith in Christ. Yeah. See, we didn't. We were very legalistic. We never got any of that shit. <clears throat> that's so weird. I mean, that's that's one of the things about, and we talked about this a little bit about religion, mm-hmm. where I would get really upset with uh, churches because, like, I would be like, I don't like the way that they deal with uh, the homosexual issue, and mm-hmm. they, you know, they preach that you know they just kind of ostracize gay people out of the church i didn't like sure that. and then some people would be like well this church uh, has a gay pastor and i'm like well i got a problem with that too because they're not reading the bible 
You know what I mean? So it was like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Right. And that's why I kind of had to just throw it all out because I was just like, it, it just didn't, it didn't work for me. Right. But there was also, I mean, I still have those same type of thoughts where back in the day it was just like, yeah, God, you know, God's in control of everything. He may have a problem with gay people. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's wrong, but I guess I'm wrong. Right. You know, and the finite absolute truth is that this is, this is what it is. Right. You know, and, uh, but then it would be like, well, you know, we're all sinners, you know, and so it's whatever. And so what do you do if, if you, you know, there's a gay guy in that church? Well, <laughs> hopefully he realizes he's living in a life of sin and tries to, you know, uh, uh, you know, turn from, and I just, it was like this thing where I was just like, I don't, why, why do we have to play all this emotional gymnastics right. and all this like legalistic gymnastics and just say, yeah, fuck it. Sorry. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I can't, I can't, I'm going to pick some of this and not some of the other stuff, but mm-hmm. ultimately I just have to look at it look at it as a, you know, a guide guidebook that's no more relevant to my what's going to happen after i die than lord of the rings is right um which is a hard thing to do but dude i can't imagine having i mean i have an 11 year old Mm -hmm. i have my son right i cannot imagine telling him that well yeah son you're gonna burn in hell forever if you're not perfect right i i mean that's just insane and they believe everything yeah you tell them Mm -hmm. i mean the tooth fairy is the most bullshit <laughs> thing you've ever heard in your life. Mm-hmm. Kids are just like, yep, yep, that's what it is. It's a tooth fairy. Yeah. Brings, it, takes your teeth, gives you a dollar. It took me a long amount of time to admit. I, I still feel weird saying it out loud, but I know it's true. Is like, like admitting to myself, like, oh, you were like basically abused as a kid. Like, right. I was like mentally, I mean, they hit us too, but I was like, I was mentally abused. Yeah. Like, I went through, like, I grew. Like I basically like had the characteristics of somebody like that got like locked in a room for ten years. You know what I mean? And I always feel guilty saying that because I know people have it worse and people have like cigarettes put out in them. And they and literally had were locked in a room for ten. And years. literally locked in a room for ten years. But it's like I still have like this like psychological like just trauma that was like put into me. Like I was like you know I felt like I remember as a teenager and uh, this is a comedy podcast, right? It really is. <laughs> It really is. I'll probably put a little disclaimer, but I like you know I I, I like uh, right. I like being able to talk about this stuff because th- this type of stuff does shape a funny person, which mm-hmm. is so fucking nuts, right? Uh, that you don't get humor without cigarette burns, right? You know what I mean? You don't get sure. comedy without tragedy. It's a defense mechanism, and I need it because I literally what I was about to say is like from the ages of it's weird how I block all this out until I'm on a podcast and then start remembering it. From like the ages of like 15, I think till 21, I just knew that I was going to kill myself one day. Like I was just like life was so hard and I felt so bad all the time that I literally had resigned myself to the fact that, okay, you're definitely going to kill yourself one day because you can't live like this forever. And I was basically just like, there was some semblance of me like, I think maybe it can't get better. Like, I think maybe it will get better. Like I was watching all this comedy and like all these TV shows about people who had made it out and made it different places and how life just seemed easier. And I was like, I was like, maybe there's a way like, don't kill yourself now because (laughs) maybe there's a way like, give it a shot. And I was like, I was totally convinced. Like I didn't think I'd make it till to 28. Oh, I thought it'd be dead before 30. I thought 25 was like, I was like, you'll probably make it to 25 and then you can kill yourself. Sure. And that was just how I kind of got through 
most of the day like i'll probably i mean i'm, I'm probably gonna have heart problems for sure when no. i'm in my You're, mid to late 40s not based on what you've told me about your family that you guys are just like treks yeah well, i mean like we're yeah, semi treks you can't kill our families you can't somehow. kill the avery's and that's the funny thing is they all want to die <laughs> my family is so depressed <laughs> and anxious but they're like the healthiest people in the world no they're not even healthy they treat their bodies like shit but uh, healthy is in terms of living they feel, long yeah they feel terrible and they smoke and and they go they all go wild through their 20s like my entire extended family has been like drug addict booze hounds mm-hmm. in their 20s and then like came back to the lord who refuses to admit it to each other who refuses to admit it refuses <laughs> to admit they're all smoking behind different yes. barns at your house literally every single like i'm i'm one of four kids Every single one of us went wild as shit. Yeah. The minute we got to college and we didn't know about it until much later. And because we fucking had to because we were fucking insane. Right. Like, from how we were raised. But none of us die. We all lived. To, I had a great grandmother. I never met her. She lived till 98. She weighed 350 pounds. She that's was, that's bonkers. She was five foot six. That's bonkers. To she me. would get around her trailer park by she had lazy boys lined up from the bedroom. Get the fuck out. I'm of not shitting you. She had lazy boys lined up from the bedroom to the TV room, to the kitchen, to the bathroom. <laughs> and she would get around her house by scooching down lazy boys like chair to chair. And that's how she would. She would park herself in front of her TV. And I ain't would, getting no goddamn wheelchair. <laughs> okay. I'm an able bodied woman. Give me about two dozen lazy boys. I'll be just fine. I yeah, I was told that they took her to the hospital when she was like 85 and the doctor was like, "You you have a, the heart of a horse. You should have died like 30 years ago." <laughs> He's calling the other doctor. Get in here. <laughs> yeah, look, look, this look doesn't it. make any sense. Look at this fucking shit. And then she like lived like 13 more years. So there's, we just there's guys ripping up their their doctorate, you know, thing on this. I, everything I learned, this yeah. it totally throws this it in the garbage. Fucking bullshit. It literally is almost like a old like biblical curse. Like you will be forced to like walk the earth forever and seek death, but not be able to find it. Man, like, like that's my fucking. Yeah, kind of, I guess. Like that's my family, basically. Well, what do you think? Now, you mentioned that kind of like <sighs> watching comedy and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I, I know there's heavy stuff man i appreciate you sharing this and hopefully this you know type of information will help other people sure uh, i just want to say if you're going through a similar environment and you're a young kid you probably should kill yourself because it doesn't get better that's stop what you you no no no, no it does get better no joking okay. so what I'm, I'm i'm joking right uh but what you said comedy watching comedy and just like investing in some other th- what changed to like because you, for the last like two or three years, you've been going to therapy. You've been like one year. I've been going to therapy for one yeah. one year, and one then year. you you you're not dead. You right. know, you haven't killed yourself. Sure. And, and what I mean, what do you what changed to where you decided to start investing in, uh, you know, your own emotional health or like kind of keep you going? What happened was so it was kind of a weird thing. So I got into college and I gradually kind of started falling away from the church and I eventually just stopped going and center center life is sin. Um, I remember my, um, my parents had moved away, but I'd stayed in the same hometown to go to college and I stopped going to church the minute they moved away. Yeah. And literally like every elder like told on me, they were like, my dad called me up. He's like, well, you know, Deacon Jones mm-hmm. told me that he had not seen you at church in the past few months. And I lied. I was like, yeah, I'm going to my friend Pat's church now. Mm. It's a little different. I like it. He goes, there's a church of Christ. I'm like, dad, I'm going to be honest with you. It's a Baptist church. 
Just, it was a complete lie anyway, but I'm like, I figure that'll like sound more believable. He's like, all right, well, I just hope you know what, you, what you're doing. Like literally, he was disappointed that I was going to a church that might have instruments added instead yeah. of saying acapella. So anyway, fell away from that, got out of college and moved to Austin, then New York, and then LA pursuing comedy and kind of like trying to figure stuff out. I was literally, I, I just felt bad and I didn't know why. Because right. I was young. I was like 22, and I just felt bad all the fucking time. You're like, everybody's life has been like mine, right. so, and everybody else seems to be okay. What the hell did I do? What's I was wrong with literally me? going from crisis to crisis to crisis. Like, just everything was the worst. And to, like, satiate that, I just started, I was in, you, you knew me when I was a big drunk. I started drinking all the time. I was literally maybe. Well, I, was, I was a big stoner. So. Right. You were a big stoner. We were like a Seth Rogen comic, comedy, yeah, basically. Absolutely. And I was just trying to ignore things by just being super stoned and just like accepting mm-hmm. everyone's behavior around me because I didn't want to have no friends. Yeah. I was literally just like, I was like, I know drinking makes me makes it stop. So I just drank all the time. I'd be like eight drinks deep every night. Even if I didn't go out, I'd just be drinking by myself at my place. Or when I moved to New York, especially because we had the subway system, I was hammered every fucking night. Every fucking night I was hammered. And I did that for about four years. And then I kind of brought the drinking back a little bit, but it's still pretty aggressive. And then I started dating. When I was out here, I started dating my first girlfriend. And we dated for about a year. And it got really, really ugly because I had a lot of stuff. I just didn't know who I was, you know? Yeah. It's like your first relationship. It just for the most part, always ends badly. Developed this like real codependent relationship. Um, ended very badly. Like, fuck you. Fuck you. Suicide pact. You guys yeah, killed, suicide killed each other. Fuck you. Fuck you. Blocked on everything. I think we're still blocked on everything. What, one of my favorite jokes that you tell uh-huh. that you haven't done in a long time is about that where you like you blocked you guys are blocked on everything mm-hmm. but the only thing that you could still go on was the was her snapchat right to where you would just look at the little tidy keyhole so you she you didn't want to know have her know that you were looking at it right because so if just, you open the snapchat you saw it but back then snapchat had the little story <laughs> it would show in the circle yeah it, like you could click on it but you could see like a little preview of the story and i literally like look at it with a magnifying <laughs> glass i'd be like that fucking bitch went to disneyland <laughs> fucking cunt <laughs> i I, lo- I love that joke but i uh, it, literally i can't tell anymore because snapchat doesn't have that feature and also nobody uses snapchat right, right. anymore um but anyway from that i literally in a real bad place that was february of 2017 i remember because trump had just got inaugurated um Right? He got, yeah, in 2017. And so um, me and Noah went to the woods to do mushrooms because he had just gone out of a breakup too. Yeah. And we were both kind of going through it. And we did like a God dose of mushrooms. And that really like started to be kind of a, it, it sounds cliche, but that was kind of a changing point for me because I, I had that ego death thing. And I could kind of, I had the first semblance of being able to examine my life without this ego trap that was keeping me alive and the ego trap that was keeping me alive was one i learned in christianity where it was like you be perfect right and if you achieve great things then you will feel good because everyone will love you you don't know how to love yourself so just be perfect and if you achieve that then that'll fix everything right and i use that relationship i mean i feel bad about this but it's just it's it's what it is is i use that relationship 
to cover up, you know, love that I couldn't give myself. I got this love from this other person. I'm taking care of this other person. Right. It gave me a purpose to be alive. It made me feel good to feel, to experience love like that. Um, cause we were deeply in love with each other. Um, and I was for a long time after the breakup. Um, and so I, I was able to just, because of that ego death, I was able to like kind of examine the way I'd been living my life up to that point without that fucking lens diffracting yeah. everything. And I could kind of be like, okay, I think there's just some stuff that needs to kind of change. And it was gradual. You know, like I started uh, exercising. There was like a big exercise trend. And like I started, um, you know, like trying to be really healthy. And I even started like going to Overeaters Anonymous groups for a little bit and um, was doing pretty well. Um, but it would it would go through the cycle I told you about where the cycle was always like like four weeks of perfectionism where it was like four weeks of like working out every fucking day, eating as healthy as fucking possible, meditating, journaling, yeah. writing, reading every day, like yeah. two hour block every morning when you wake up, you have to do these eight things. And I do that for four weeks and then eventually I just collapse and be like, oh God, fucking damn it. And then I'd eat wings for two weeks until I felt like shit. And then be like, okay, here we go again. And then I like, I like yeah. started, I was like self care, like abusing self care yeah, type of thing. And then I started. So I think it was last year I turned 27 and I just, it was literally like this time last year. I just like the fact of like 27 is like officially your late twenties. And I think I was just like, yeah, there's just like, some stuff you need to do that you've not been doing. And I started going to anonymous groups like addiction groups. Mm -hmm. And from that, I went to literally like eight of them. And from that, I started going to therapy like that branched off into me going to therapy. And then I literally spent five months just kind of like talking about every fucked up thing that had happened to me and then feeling like shit. Cause I was just process. Like I was shitting all these emotions out of my body and gradually what it's been now has been, um, cause it's kind of been weird is that like, I think like in now a year into therapy, I'm really seeing the benefits where I can be assertive and I can tell somebody that I don't like the way they're behaving and handle it much better. And I can, at least like if I struggle with self-love, I can know that I'm struggling with it in a moment and yeah. try and change it. So it's on the right path. But at the same time, I'm working this job, you know, at this alarm company and I've just gone off. I went off on commission only in May and so that's been super fucking that's been stressful as shit. You know, I haven't like done stand up, I think, in a month now, literally because I've been so worried about working this job. I mean, it's benefited me in that I've made a lot of money and I think I'm gonna continue making a lot of money. But now I'm at this weird crossroads where it's like, okay, now that it's like goddamn night, yeah, and dip tobacco like an asshole until your heart hurts and drink <laughs> Red Bull every morning and feel like shit and look like shit and not go talk to anybody. So I'm just now gradually ramping up into like, okay, let's become a healthy person again. Right. Well, I think it's, I think it's healthy. All, every successful like discipline has a cheat day built mm -hmm. into it. You sure. Know? Especially my marriage. Right. Uh, no, I'm just joking. You're making chili all over town. <clears throat> oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you go to the fire department, <laughs> get those boys involved. <laughs> Come here, boy. Five, five fire alarm, five chili. Come on out. 
you guys will be shitting all over the dude. <laughs> man, a fireman like trying to put a fire, but they're farting, so it's just blowing out. All okay, that. I like that. This is good. I like that. Uh, well, it's at that that airtight suit too that they wear, so right. they're like trying to put the fire out, but they've been drink, eating too much five mm-hmm. five alarm chili, uh, so they die in the inside of their own mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. No, but you gotta. I mean, I think I think uh, it would be beneficial. I don't do anything, by the way. I don't. Right. I don't exercise. I don't. Uh, I, uh, I try to be disciplined with my diet, but it's just. I've always said that about you. Uh, <laughs> disciplined with my diet, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't like. I, I. 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 I'm. It's been so long since I've had any discipline. Right. Because I get into the thing of like I'm not gonna be able to keep this up. What are you doing? You know, just mm-hmm. screw it. Uh, but the every you know every good discipline has a, a cheat day kind right. of thing in it, you know to where it's like you gotta you gotta give yourself a break so that way you don't you know fall well, you, off the deep end yeah and i also want to approach self-care not from more of like the old way i used to approach it like a year ago was like i'm gonna be the fucking terminator and i'm like literally just gonna watch yeah. enough joe rogan episodes that i never feel pain <laughs> again <laughs> And I'm like, I'm going to barefoot run and hunt elk and like meditate 80 minutes a day. Like I was literally meditating for a half hour a day at one point. Yeah. And all that stuff does make you feel better. But I think I was going way too hard. And I now want to try and get into, and this is such a struggle for me where I'm doing self-care because I actually care about myself. Right. Where it's like, hey, maybe eat a banana so you feel good and like yourself when you look in the mirror. Instead of like, eat this banana, you fucking bitch eat this banana so you can be a robot you bitch You're like gagging oh <laughs> yeah. i hate it i hate yeah, it yeah pretty yeah. much yeah i i eat a lot of fruit and uh uh it uh i don't know i i, I like it now like i like enjoy fruit all right fruit's I, great i uh we get a lot of peaches and a lot of love a lot, peach love a peach love a plum love a, a pineapple pineapple's great all the peas all the peas all the pussy peas. <laughs> A Georgia peach. Georgia peach. <laughs> oh, shit. What was I going to say? Well, I'll say, I'll, I'll say this while you think okay. about that. Because I I mean, my whole thing, because comedy, I feel like, really saved me in a way. Mm-hmm. And I'm also at a point, too, where I know that comedy no longer is able to save me. You know what I mean? Like, there is, right. there was a point at which I was, you know suicidal i mean this is when i was turning 30 you mm-hmm. know i'm not suicidal in the uh, i always feel like i gotta clarify like the difference between having like feeling those thoughts and being like i'm in danger like, right i'm i will, you never got to the danger zone i don't think so but you uh, had ideation i had ideation i mean i've surrounded myself with enough great people uh my how whole gonna, life how are you gonna do it gun gun uh, yeah but uh mouth I didn't get that far. Okay. Uh, I was, it was as far as me looking at it. I right. had, cause I had a pistol. Well, you just love guns so much. I do love <laughs> guns. I had a, I, my first gun I bought when I was 10 years old. It was an mm-hmm. over and under 222 and a 20 gauge on the bottom. Woo! Dude, love that gun. It's great. And, uh, but I just, there was, was a time when I was probably 29. Uh, you know, I just remember look, pulling the gun out and looking at it, mm-hmm. you know? And just going, what the fuck are you doing? Right. Like, stop. What are you doing? And I just remember throwing the bullets in the trash can because I was just like, this is, you got to get your head on straight. And then mm-hmm. eventually, you know, going to my first open mic and being like, oh, you're the, you're made for this. This is who you are. This is right. what you should be doing. This is your life now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then thinking, you know, like three or four years into it, right before I moved here. Uh, just going like, okay, 
Right now, you feel like a million bucks because you're doing comedy. You're getting rewarded emotionally because mm-hmm. you know people are seeing this progress. They're seeing you do something that you're naturally good at. Right. At some point, you're going to get bummed out again. What are you going to do then? And then I'm just going, well, we'll see. Yeah. You know, we'll see. And <clears throat> I think I've gone. I went through that that second part probably about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me, you know six or so months to kind of get through it um you know if you're listening to this you're you're listening to it on the ripping and skipping feed you can hear a change there's definitely a change in 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 the stuff where uh there was a time where i was very excited about doing the podcast i was putting a lot of effort into the back end of it um, well, you were like Brian Wilson producing a podcast. You're yeah. like making pet sounds. Absolutely. And I, you know, I was obsessing over it and I was trying really hard and, you know, spending a lot of time on it and I was excited about it. And then I, something changed and I was just like, I think I just started thinking like, nobody's listening. Nobody mm-hmm. gives a shit. Uh, I'm putting all this effort into this thing so that I can broadcast my insanity to people. I am giving people an opportunity to dislike me, mm-hmm. uh, to they can see, they can affirm all of the negative thoughts that I've had about myself. That of course everybody else does, and they turn this on. They go, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." Kevin is a, an idiot. Mm-hmm. He's a complete moron. And so then I started getting less excited about it and stuff. And that's that's right about uh, after that went on for a little while. That's right about when I stopped smoking weed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, okay, you dumbass." That that it, oh the natural depressant you've been ingesting every day mm-hmm. uh, that uh, yeah that's probably why you feel this way right and do you feel like you were using because you were smoking weed every day yeah um, you were basically like a rapper um, hell yeah and <laughs> <laughs> um, I did a cheap style with like a one hitter a lot right. of the time. Uh, which if you're going to be a, a, a constant uh, weed addict, get a one hitter. Mm-hmm. All right. Because then you don't have to get as much weed. But do you feel like you were doing that to cover over these emotions that you were not yet willing to face? I'm, I don't know if I, uh, if, it, if I don't know if I, here's one thing I know we'll never be done. You know what I mean? What do you mean? Me and you. Uh, and <laughs> and I've tried many times. We'll, we'll never be done evolving. Right. We are who we are. And it's just the spaceship. Sometimes you look out and you go, yeah, wing's still blown off. <laughs> and then you just, you got to adjust, you know, who right. you are. So uh, I don't think I've ever like hid any emotions from myself. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've always had my eyes wide open but at the same time will continue to do behavior that I'm not like that. I know subconsciously or, you know, just below, you know, just above the subconscious is, is, is detriment, a detriment Mm -hmm. to me. So I, I think I, I mean, I, I know I was smoking weed uh, a lot because it feels good. It's, it's great. Right. You know, I like smoking weed. I, I, you know, I hope to be able to go back to it at some point and enjoy it, you know, in its appropriate context. But, I think there was a part of me to do it every day because it was something to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, it was it was something that I could do. Um, honestly, it was like putting on hard mode on life. Right. You know, I'm gonna go have a conversation with you know 80 people. Yeah, you went up at, at the store on acid one time. I remember. And yeah. I was like, you know, this doesn't need to be this hard. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why I did did that. I don't know why I do stuff like that. But there's a thing where I kind of will like. Um, 
challenge myself for different for whatever i don't understand why i do it uh but i will do stuff like that and it would just like oh yeah i'm gonna be high out of my gore but i can i can handle it right. it's not a big deal and i did you know i did handle it it was just my psychology of it was like my internal psychology was just mm-hmm. and i i well, you were you were also like walking up to people and clearly having like a panic attack all the time and you were like you're worried. I could tell, like, you're worried. You thought everybody hated you all the time because you're on weed. You're on yeah. weed. It makes you anxious. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the last year that I was doing, or the last six mm-hmm. months that I was doing, it was really starting to uh, you become like, an issue. You weren't like confident at all, like, which no. is like one of your key like pr- abilities to perform is like your confidence. Yeah. Your willingness to go there. And it just like wasn't, I think the weed was really affecting that. It was really frustrating too, because I could fake it when I was on stage, mm-hmm. you know? So I would do, you know, longer sets or, you know, the worst was the worst thing in the world was doing open mics because an open mic, you don't even think about this, but the actual performance is before and after when you got to sit there and talk to the rest of the comedians oh, who yeah. are going to be the people that it's get brutal. your jobs. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> And I love people. I genuinely do love people. Right. And I would be around these people and, you know, I'm just going, I just want to get on a fucking stage so I can be myself. Right. You know, <clears throat> God forbid I'm myself right now, you know, in front of these people in regular everyday life where no, literally nobody's telling you, you have to put on a show mm-hmm. and I'm just going, <laughs> oh yeah, you're hilarious. I accept anything that you say. This is fantastic. Right. I think, and I think that aspect of it too being high, being trying to be okay with everybody, which for me a lot of it is uh, just like constant approval, you know, mm-hmm, sure. just like oh yeah, I get along with anybody, no problem. So like when people would make certain jokes or about stuff, and it was like in an area that I'm not comfortable with, I would laugh. I would pretend to laugh a lot, you know, or I would, mm-hmm. and then you're stoned out of your gourd so much you can't even really laugh anymore. So these people that you've been laughing at for the last year. Now see that you're just quiet over there in the corner. Right. You're just going, I, sorry, I just don't have the energy to pretend I appreciate this humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't actually think you're funny. <laughs> uh, and I'm sorry, you know, and then I'm turning into an asshole. So it's like, uh, it was kind of a, a, a cycle, you know, like a, mm-hmm. a, 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 a vortex of, of, you know, ridiculousness, a vortex of mental health, right? Uh, mental disorders. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I know... I know that I have to, I can't be doing, I have to use my fucking brain. Mm-hmm. You don't go out and you get stoned before you have to do something, you dumbass. <laughs> it's so obvious, you right. know what I mean? And for me, I was just like, well, I can't, well, I can mm-hmm. because I'm a badass. I yeah. can do anything. That's always the, that's always the crutch with weed is like, I'm different. That's what gets everybody with I think weed. Every addiction too is like that too. I think to a certain point, I think I do think like if you like face like heroin or something like that, you're like, man, I'm doing fucking heroin every day. Dude, that's it, not great. If you look at guys like uh who was that young guy who was somewhat famous who died from heroin? Philip Seymour Hoffman? No. Um, he was a comic. It's like semi-famous. Um, semi-famous comic died from heroin. He was like in the Pete Holmes circle. Harris Whittles. Harris Whittles. Yeah. That was a guy who you listened to him talk, mm-hmm. and he had that attitude. Like, like, oh, you don't have to be an addict or a piece of shit. You can casually do cocaine and heroin. Right. You know? And 
it's that that mentality oh i'm different i can i can do it sure you know i mean that's definitely when i was addicted to alcohol which is weird that i said because now i drink now and i do think i am fine like i really just do it if i'm on a date usually right and like if the few times that i go out to bars with friends like maybe i drink like twice a month now and it's usually like three or four drinks at max yeah um but for a period of time, like I would keep going and going seven and or eight and seven or eight. Or I would, max. I would do, I would drink. Cause it was the exact opposite for me that I was always constantly in a state of panic about everything. Cause I'm always checking in like, you okay, you okay. You like me, you like me, you, you, like, you don't like me. Let me work on this for 45 minutes. Right. Um, that the, the liquor just dumbed me down enough to be like, Hey, this is fun. I'm at a place. I'm center. It's good. <laughs> and occasionally you would, I would be like, I'm fun. You know? I'm good. I'm a, I'm a good drinker. And I was a good drinker. You know, I never really appeared super drunk. I never like groped anybody or tried to fight anyone. I was just right. a happy drunk. And, you know, you would occasionally get these flashes every once in a while where like I get home at like 3 a.m. and I have work the next day and I'm like, I fucking drunk drove home tonight. And then I threw up and yeah. now I'm like sweating and I get to work and I feel like shit. And you're like, you get these glimpses of yourself. And you're like, what the fuck am I doing right now? Yeah. And yeah. then the weird thing is like, I think this is true for a lot of people. This is something I didn't realize until I got older, but you know, I thought growing up that everybody wants to feel better all the time, but I do think there is a real drive for self annihilation in people. People yeah. want to destroy themselves a lot of times like that old, you know, native American story. Like there's two wolves inside of you. One is good and one is bad or whatever. Um, I kind of like view it now more as like there's like two, you know, sides of you. One is like the self-preservation side that wants to make you feel that wants you to be better yeah, or feel better or take care of yourself. And there's another real side that really wants to annihilate yourself, like right. tear cells from cells, you know, like the people who cut right or like hit themselves or anything like that. It's like, and that's how you would kind of get with drinking. That's how I get with food sometimes still where like, the past couple of days I had really bad days with food and I was just like, just fuck it. Just fuck me up. Yeah. Just fuck me. Yeah. Just keep shoving it in. I don't understand the, why that is. I think it has something to do with the fact that human beings in this context of a civilization are relatively new. If you look at the evolutionary timeline uh-huh. and we're just not responsible enough to have wide access to food. Sure. Uh, and drugs and all this stuff that we do because we're still fucking animals. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah, you know, so you, you just, when, when you don't have to go outside, you don't mm. have to do anything and you can have anything you want right at your fingertips. You know, you're going to be a, you're going to be a fucking dog that eats himself sick. Right. You know what I mean? There's a sociological term for it. It's called cocooning. The fact that people in like our current generation are completely separating themselves. Mm-hmm from real life and i have this fantasy all the time and this is something if i can get in the rant corner for a second this is something that drives me crazy is that i know i think my biggest addiction now is entertainment yeah i am constantly entertained i'm either listening to music or i'm listening to a podcast or i'm watching youtube videos or i'm watching a movie or i'm watching a tv show oh yeah i never have a moment to just sit and be by myself and i go on these rants I not go on these rants, but I, I've been talking about this a lot where I'm like, why should I have my phone? Why should I have an iPhone? Why should I have a phone? Why should I have a TV in my place? 
And people, and here's the thing that really fucking pisses me off. When people say that there is such a fucking resistance to that. When I know, and I'm, I'm going to get really angry about this because I keep getting pushback on this because I know everybody is so fucking addicted to their phones and being entertained constantly. Yes. And nobody has a quiet fucking moment anymore. And everybody uses their phones eight hours a day. And then I say that and people are like, oh, man, it's just about how you use it. You know, the Internet can be used for such good things. I'm like, you don't use the Internet for one good fucking thing in your life. No one fucking does, you idiot. Oh, it's all and I also, look at my cheat codes on my game. And also, that argument can be made for guns, dumbass, or yeah. drugs, or whatever. It's all how you use it. Well, it's an accurate argument. Uh, but the the... It is an accurate argument. It is an accurate argument, but but applied to an inaccurate <laughs> scenario because nobody's going to fucking do that. So that's what I'm saying is like, why can't... Why is the idea of me getting a dumb phone insane to people? Because I know it would make me happier. Like, I 100% know getting rid of my phone would make me happier. Uh, I mean, I think you have to try shit that, that, you know what I mean? Follow your convictions. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Try it out. There's no, there's literally, I mean, there's no benefit to there's nothing you're going to lose right by doing that that is not something that's fucking you up right now right you you might miss a booking because somebody's trying to message you on twitter or some bullshit which mm-hmm. by the way don't message me for shows on twitter never message on twitter i don't, never get those don't message me on instagram for shows like i mean hit me up and make sure there's some time and okay, so by the way, my anger is motivated by my lack of being able to see when that happens mm-hmm. because I just I suck at it. So I'm always like, uh, if somebody messaged me, I give them my phone number. If I give you my phone number, then you know, let's talk over, let's text, text mm-hmm. me. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the only th- that's the only thing you might miss out on. Plus, right. you got a computer. You know, if you need to get access to that stuff, right? You, you could know, always it'll be there. Like have a laptop, go to Starbucks once right. a day in the morning, and check everything. <clears throat> I guess my real frustration comes from I think I know how to make myself much like if you really look at yourself like a robot, and this is not related. I know I'm going to completely contradict myself with all the self care stuff I talked about earlier. But I know that if I wanted to be like, it, like, let's say you were raising a human like it was a dog and you're like, how do I make the best fucking dog I can make? Yeah, I would take your phone. I would throw it in a river. I would take the TV. I would throw it away in a river in a river specifically. <laughs> and I would like just make you fucking exist in a world where you're not constantly entertained all the time. Yeah. And I think my big thing is that I think this technology and here's another thing. When I say this, people are like, "Yo, oh, you sound like what they sounded like in the 70s about the TV. Or you know what they sounded like in the 50s about radio. It's fucking different now, okay? It just is. Yeah. And I know the argument that everybody said it's different now, but it fucking is. Technology is accelerating at leaps and bounds that are unfathomable. The difference between the TV of the 1960s and the radio of the 40s is not that much different. Mm-hmm. You know, in the 40s, we had radio. In the 70s, we had TV. In the 10s, we got our first car. In the 1860s, it was the Civil War. You go from the 60s to the 90s, all of a sudden, we have the internet. And from the 90s to now, we have, like, the things we have is insane. It, it just keeps accelerating. Yeah. Um, there's, like, actually a term for that. I forget what it's, it's called, like, Occam's Law or something. Like, every year, things keep doubling in mm-hmm. um, speed in terms. Well, you, you can, nobody can consume as much entertainment as being put out. Right. You know, you, it's not, it's literally not possible. And I think like, you know, in five years we're going to have VR and everybody's going to get addicted to that for sure. And then it's just like, I feel like 
and I get told that I'm an old fucking man when I say this, I feel like this is all really, really bad for us. Yeah. And you're not allowed to question that at all. And I think it's because I think people are so afraid of admitting to themselves that their phones are ruining their lives that for somebody to say, hey, I think it would be good if I'm not on my phone eight hours a day. Somebody's like, fuck you. You need to learn how to control it. First off, I know I need to learn how to control it. You need to learn how to control it. We all need to learn how to control it. We can't because we're literally not capable of. We have not evolved to control handling these dopamine machines in our hands. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think uh, the half of that argument that you're getting presented with is that uh, and I like what you said, kind of looking at yourself like a robot. You need to know yourself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like I said, you look out, you say, you realize, oh, the the wing's gone. You know, it, right. it's gone. Okay, so shift the weight of the plane to the other side so you can even it out so you can continue to fly. Does that mean that everybody has to have the weight shifted on over? No, some planes don't have a wing missing. I do. You know, so. Uh, speak of the devil, Jace just picked up his phone. No, I wanted to read uh, this. I know I'm such a hypocrite. I wanted to read this quote. Well, let me finish this thought. Yeah, please, but please the, keep going. I'm going to look up this quote. The the thing about it is, you know, I, me personally, with my phone, especially since Apple just recently, you know, a year ago or whatever, put out the thing where you can see the time you're using stuff. Right, screen time. Screen time. I look at that. My numbers are way lower way 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 lower than most people's numbers i don't feel like that that i use my phone as much as you know so i remember somebody saying something like oh you realize how much time we use we're on instagram and i went on i was like oh yeah i'm on you know for uh an hour a week and they were just like what the fuck so it's like i i, I think there are certain people where you can use the technology to your advantage but just like with alcohol or with anything, especially like you said, these dopamine machines, mm-hmm. you have to know yourself. You got to know your limits and you got to listen to your convictions. So if you feel like, you know, you, Jace, can't, you know, properly manage the amount of time that you're just sitting and, you know, feed, feed my brain, entertain me, mm-hmm. then you have to listen to those convictions. Right. It just in the same way where I'm going, oh, I can handle it because I'm different. Because I'm all ego, you know what I mean? Right. Do mushrooms and you look at yourself outside of yourself and you go, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And just because you're not in the cockpit of your own personality going, well, I'm different. Right. I can do heroin every on the weekends and it's just fine. You know, I'm just different than everybody. Mm-hmm. No, you're fucking not. Yeah. It's not a good idea. So like the uh, for you, I think you should give the simple phone a shot. You know? Yeah, I think I should. And I'm trying to get to the place where I actually pull the trigger on that. Mm-hmm. And it, it really reminds me of, and I'm going to sound like such a douche saying this, but I think really almost any educated person, you know, my age or younger, should read uh, Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace because it really. That is funny that you said I that. I know. It's the douchiest thing of all time. Um, I just know that it's douchey. I don't even know why. It's like the book, if you're smart, you've read the book okay. like type of thing. Like, I'm I mean, smart, I've got I read it on Audible. I couldn't get past the first 20 minutes. The first 300 pages are bad. That's the weird thing about it. And then once you make it through that, it's like the most, like, it's like some of the most, like, it's the greatest writing of all time. And it okay. literally touches on it. It literally uses, like, half of it set in this recovery house for heroin addicts. Half of it is set around this international um, uh, 
espionage case where somebody has invented a movie so entertaining that people can't stop watching it. So if it's on the screen, people's eyes get glued to it. They were literally shit and piss themselves and starve to death watching the machine and rewinding it and watching it over and over again. It's watching Game of Thrones. Watch, yeah, it's just Game of Thrones. <laughs> Season seven was not as great, but let's get past it. <laughs> um, and the, the, he intertwines this, this addiction with the heroin to what America's current addiction is to be infinitely entertained, infinite jest basically. And it's just, I think it's, it's really what we're heading towards is like, you cannot have a single moment where you are not being entertained. You cannot have a single moment where you are alone with your thoughts, examining yourself, feeling the things you actually feel. The machines we have now make it so easy to just push all those feelings down forever um, and to read this, Deuce, man, I'm being a real douche. Now I'm going into a Dostoevsky quote. Please. But it goes back into what you said. This is from the Brothers Karamazov. I couldn't find the long quote. There's like a version with three paragraphs, but this is a short version. And he says, above all, don't lie to yourself. The man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to a point that he cannot distinguish the truth within him or around him and so loses all respect for himself and for others. And having no respect, he ceases to love. And ceasing to love, he becomes lower than an animal. Hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's uh, it. Reminds me of uh, the Four Agreements, where it talks about being impeccable with your word, right? Uh, where essentially, don't lie to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, don't speak ill or evil of yourself. What are the four? What are all the Four Agreements? I don't know. I know ones. Try your best. <laughs> earth, uh, yeah. wind, Ar- earth, fire, wind, fire. <laughs> Uh, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I think that's the fourth one. No, right. I, it's like try your best, uh, mm-hmm. be impeccable with your word, wash your hands, wash your hands, <laughs> and make your bed. Uh, I can't remember it <clears throat> because I'm obviously living it, uh, living my truth, you right? Know? Uh, but uh, I think that's good, and I honestly feel like that that uh, might be a good place to uh, to start wrapping up, right? Yeah, I've really worked myself in the rant corner. My heart is beating fast. <laughs> I saw you put your fingers up to your neck. Yeah, I was, I was like, like, "Am I okay?" Yeah, and no, I got so worked up, I turned into uh, Bill O'Reilly there for a second. I mean, I think these are all good things. Uh, I think this is going to be. Uh, hopefully, people are you know enjoy this type of sharing, and I think. One of the things that's interesting about comedy mm-hmm. uh, is the fact that the majority of comedians are mentally ill. The majority of people who are seeking comedy are trying to escape something. Right. You know, and it, regardless if it's something as innocent as I've had a long work day or whatever. And I think it's important to invest in your own well being, mm-hmm. even if it's hard. Now I'm going to be the most overweight track coach in the world who's going, you know, eating a sub sandwich going lift your knees. The problem <laughs> is you haven't had your heart elevated and good god, this I'm going to die. <laughs> he knows all the and I really do feel like a fat track coach with this shit mm-hmm. because I I have my degree in psychology. I studied a lot of this shit. I've read a lot of books about this stuff. Right. I've gone to counseling. Uh, but a lot of the times I don't put the work in. So this will be a challenge to me as much as it is to to you, Jace, or to you, our listeners. Uh, and uh, hopefully this wasn't too uh, too heavy for you guys. But if it was, you can go fuck yourself. Yeah. Uh, but like first, make sure you're eating healthy right. and exercising. A lot of veggies. I feel like that's every podcast now is either. I mean, you know, we do another podcast with Ben, Brain my brother, and it's usually either like, it's either me going, I make cum cum in my diaper, 
I'm either saying that or like I was abused. I was I turned into Pepitone. Yeah, yeah. I was raped as a boy in a coal mine. <laughs> like those, I was the canary. I was the canary, and I died <laughs> and came back to hell. Those are the two facets of of comedy podcasts. It's either like I may come come in my dipe dipe, right, or I was raped in hell by the devil. Yeah. Well, I think that's the that is the dichotomy of of funny people is the fact that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I get so frustrated when people get precious about stuff. We don't joke about that. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't talk about that. I go, look, you piece of shit. <laughs> you don't get it. The right. reason we can talk about that is because we're talking about shit that is the most precious to us. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that were the most difficult to us, and we had to overcome it, and a lot of times overcome it with humor. Right. And that's why we do it. So for you to be like, oh, we, you shouldn't joke about that, or that's these are sacred cows over here. It's mm-hmm. just going, look, you are going to have a hard time in your life if you have these things that you just can't joke about. Right. Strengthen your fucking will strengthen who you are and get over that shit burn your sacred cows right you know line the fuck up a little bit yes yeah because it's yeah it it just absolutely drives me nuts the louis ck thing you know it just boggles my mind Mm -hmm. to no end uh not so much you know the the initial thing but it's the now people going back and monitoring what he said as a comedian and then now other comedians looking at other comedians, you know, saying this is not okay. He said this or he's doing stop. Right. Stop it. Mm-hmm. We'll drop your ass off in fucking Syria and you can watch women get <laughs> acid poured on their faces. <laughs> and then you can realize that this it's not that fucking bad to use some words to try to lighten the fucking mood. Right. You know and, what I mean? And it's it's I think it's a very one-dimensional way of looking at the world, like especially you or I get this doing comedy in Los Angeles where it's like, uh, you know, another straight white guy. And it's like, you don't know my fucking life. Don't know. That. I grew up in pain. Yeah. Yeah. You grew up in pain. Everybody is in pain, right. lady. Right. You know, it's not you. You're not special. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's uh, this whole idea of uh, what do they call it? Trauma comparing or uh, victim uh, ratios right. or whatever, or my life was worse than your life yeah. because I had this or well, well, it's oh, like he's trauma. missing a finger. It's not, yeah. his life was worse than the guy who's not missing. a. F- it's like everything is relative. You it's know? trauma dick measuring, which is the craziest thing of all time. It's bonkers. And you'll right see now. that if you go in an anonymous group, I know we're trying to wrap up. It's all right. Um, if you go in an anonymous group, that is one of my biggest problems with a lot of those groups is like people will be sharing and then some people will share pretty honestly. It's very nice. But then there will always be one guy who like someone will tell a story where she's like, yeah, you know, I was, you know, drinking all, I drank for like 12 years and like, you know, I like, you know, I hit my kid and, you know, I crashed my car. I used to masturbate with the tractor trailer. Right. <laughs> well, then somebody will stand up and they'll be like, well, I was drinking for 15 years and I uh, raped my kid and I fucked my dog. And it's yeah. like, oh yeah. It's yeah. like, all right, buddy, you win. Congrats. Yeah. Well, that's, I. Uh, to 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 bring it back to church, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you had testimonial sharing uh, where people would tell their testimonies. Yeah, from time to time. So we were big into sharing our stories, mm-hmm. and I just remember 
you know, going like, well, you know, my, I, I grew up, uh, you know, two of my parents loved me and, you know, they got divorced when I was 13. It's not that big of a deal. You know, I never did drugs. I, uh, I was a virgin on my wedding night and, uh, and, uh, I've been a Christian the whole time. Never really had a freak out, never really fell off the wagon and, and whatnot. And just going, I'm sorry, guys, my testimony is really boring. <laughs> and everybody kind of like trying to like console me like, no, 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 right. that's good. That's good. And then some guy would get up there and be like, well, <sighs> I knew it was rock bottom <clears throat> when I killed two babies to steal the straw that they were using for their milkshake so I could do a makeshift heroin needle and inject it into my arms. And, uh, you know, I was sitting in the cell and I just uh, cannibalized my cellmate because I was starving because we were in a foreign country and they didn't feed us. <laughs> And uh, I had a vision of the Lord come down, and he read to me, John 3.16, really changed my life. <laughs> and I've been going on the road and preaching ever since. And, and people going, good God, right. see how much God can change your life. Look what <laughs> God can do. And I'm going, oh, yeah, what? I'm a boring, boring person. It's uh, and that's why I did acid at the comedy store right. when I was because I want my testimony to be better when I eventually start my own church. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had the same thing at our church, except we had a lot of because we were so conservative, um, that everybody was pretty lame about their confession stories. Um, so ridiculous. Um, but we also had a lot of people from we did a lot of missionary work in Ghana, so we had a lot of people from Ghana who would be at the church, like they'd grown up in Ghana and like moved to the U.S. Um, for safety, really. And uh, somebody would come up, it'd be some old guys like, oh, I just want to apologize to the congregation. I, I looked at a pornographic video and I was just so disappointed in myself. And then you would have one of these people from Ghana come up, like the happiest guy you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And he would literally be like, I think God is good. Uh, when I was a child, you've seen me do this, but <laughs> well, when I was a child, um, I saw my father's head cut off of his body in front of me, and the villagers raped his neck hole, and uh, they put his shit inside my ass. I was made to eat dirt <laughs> out of his skull because it was the only bowl we had. And I remember when I was eating shit out of his skull, I thought, God is good. I love God. Some people don't have <laughs> shit to eat. Uh, yeah, I, and that is it. That is really it right there because there's always somebody who's had it worse than you. Mm -hmm. um, I, hate the, I hate all the generalizations that people get into because of that stuff where they go, if, you're, if your name's Kyle and you wear a tank top, then you are a piece of shit. Or if uh, any, everybody named uh, Heather, <laughs> no thanks. Right. Uh, it, just all that stuff or like, uh, you know, all all this or that. It's just not accurate. Right. And that, to think like somebody had it worse than you is such a <clears throat> shitty, like, don't feel bad. Somebody had it worse than you. Well, also, a lot of people have it better than you. So don't feel better either. Right. It's right. just a shitty, it's a dumb way to look at the world. Just like, hey, everybody is in pain everybody is human right you know I want, one of my favorite things <laughs> favorite it's i'm being sarcastic but it's just the you know kind of the woke white white woke bags that'll just get into like the like well i know i grew up in a place of privilege being a straight white male and all but i was kept in a cage for the first <laughs> 20 years of my life and uh you know from a place of privilege you know right. so it's just like don't discount your experience. Mm -hmm. It was because, a very nice cage, very expensive. Oh, cage. I mean, we lived in Brentwood. You know, it was very <laughs> great. You know, we I had money. I had money. Now right. my mom used to pull my fingernails off in the morning, <laughs> uh, but I was never hungry. You know, so I 
I really can't speak on this experience of trauma, you know, so I just won't get it. It's just like, uh, it doesn't make any sense. Like nobody followed me around in a grocery store. Right. You know, however, we all have our shit that we've got to deal with. Yeah. You know what I mean? And all comparison is really dumb. It's, it's really so dumb. dumb because at the end of the day, you have to make decisions for your own life that are going to mm-hmm. make you happy for lack of a better word. Yeah. But more than anything, just help you to continue to go throughout your life. So at the end, you can look back and be like, that was a good life. Yeah. I, I did what I wanted to do. You and know? comparison is just a thief of joy. That's like the big AA saying. <clears throat> comparison like will ruin your life. It'll take all the happiness mm-hmm. out of it. Yeah, I like that. Well, Jace, uh, I uh, I love you, buddy. And uh, I'm going to continue to bring my children over here to hug you. Um, I'm going to hit them. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That'll be good for both of you. Yeah, yeah. That'll be good all Tough the way around. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you enjoyed this podcast at all, uh, you're probably not going to get a ton of conversations like this, but uh, <laughs> make sure to go to iTunes, leave us a review, uh, write, it, write in the comments, too serious. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Really bummed me out. <laughs> yeah, really bummed me out. And you know, <clears throat> that, that's, that's the advantage of sharing this type of stuff, or the, the, uh, the, the benefit of sharing this type of stuff is is uh, to know uh, you're not alone out mm-hmm. there, you know, there and and the six people that are going to listen to this, probably my buddy Brandon Baker, are going to go, man, I'm really, I like this guy. Right. You know, uh, we're, we're all flawed individuals. Uh, but uh, if you're out there on the streets and you see somebody, tell them, oh, hey. Oh, hey. <laughs> How you doing, pal? <laughs> uh, keep the gun out of your mouth and keep the smile on your face. All right. Keep it crispy, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Take care. We'll see you next week.